changes today when it comes to schools and businesses closing in North Carolina. Good evening and thank you for joining us for this special report Facts Not Fear. I'm Deborah Morgan and I'm Gerald Owens within the past hour an update from the White House and a plea from the North Carolina Health Care Association asking Governor Cooper to issue a shelter in place order in North Carolina. The governor has no plans to do that at this point. Earlier today, Governor Cooper announced schools would be closed until at least May 15th, making virtual learning a new normal for thousands of students across the state. In this half hour, we'll hear from an online learning expert about the hurdles, challenges, and benefits of a virtual learning environment. WRL's David Crabtree will also talk with a pandemic expert and professor from NC State to answer your questions about how long this may last. And we start with Mark Boyle in the Live Center with an update to the federal response and the White House briefing happening right now. Mark? Deborah, we have a lot to catch you up on right now this evening. All news since the end of our 6 o'clock newscast. Durham County sending out some new information, now adding 30 more Durham County residents to a list that's growing. Durham County seeing 71 people in that county with confirmed cases of COVID-19. The president is in uh, D.C. right now with his coronavirus task force. They've been speaking since about 6 o'clock this evening. One thing the president was talking about is how there are people out there trying to take advantage of victims in this situation. Take a listen. The Department of Justice will be aggressively prosecuting fraudulent schemes related to the pandemic. Yesterday, federal prosecutors took action in their first case, shutting down a website selling a totally fake vaccine, if you can believe that one. As president, I will always fight to protect Americans from being exploited. Now, the president went on to talk about how he is encouraging senators to get the job done. Senators failed two times today to pass that stimulus bill. They are still negotiating on Capitol Hill right now. We'll monitor this situation throughout the night. Much more tonight on uh, the news at 10 and 11 o'clock. Thank you, Mark. And within the past hour, we've also had more cases reported. As Mark mentioned, the big headline comes out of Durham, where 30 additional people tested positive, bringing the North Carolina total past 370. We do expect this number to be higher when Wake County releases its numbers before the end of the day. No deaths have been reported in North Carolina. The governor is also tightening the belt on business closures. Among those added to the list statewide today, personal care and grooming businesses, including barbershops and hair salons, manicure and pedicure providers. Gatherings are also limited to no more than 50 people. Again, these are statewide orders. Many of them were already in place in some of the larger counties. Another big headline today, the 2020 Summer Olympics in Tokyo could be postponed till 2021. The International Olympic Committee says it will decide within the next four weeks whether to postpone the games because of the pandemic. Several countries, including Canada and Australia, have said they won't send a team if the games are held this year. This pandemic is putting a strain on public health systems. Local hospitals and other health care facilities are in desperate need of face masks. We are concerned about the long-term uh, integrity of, of the supply chain across the United States. We literally have one N95 mask that we're passing around, which is uh, a travesty. Many of the biggest hospitals in our area, including Duke, UNC and Wake Med, put out the call over the weekend for donations and many groups are responding. And as Gerald said, many groups are stepping up to help, including a church in Fayetteville. We were there today as volunteers with Mana Church donated 7,295 masks to Cape Fear Valley Medical Center. The pastor says a disaster assistance warehouse is on site, most recently used to help homes flooded during the hurricanes. 
They packed up the masks and knew exactly what they needed to do. So we, we called around, we called the Kafir Valley uh, to see if they could use those, and we brought them here to donate them, trying to do our part to help keep our medical professionals safe as they, as they lead out in, the, in the, the fight on coronavirus. That's great, and many hospitals insist more needs to be done. In fact, leaders with Duke Hospital sent a letter directly to President Trump asking him to implement the Defense Production Act. The president invoked the DPA last week, but those powers have yet to be used. The letter reads in part, Please use the powers of the Defense Production Act now to mass produce and coordinate distribution of these critical supplies before the need worsens and the shortages become even more dire. An additional resource for medical supplies could be schools. Five on your side's Monica La Liberty explains. So a viewer brought this to our attention that schools have supplies that perhaps could be donated to hospitals and health care facilities. So we're talking about things like gloves and protective clothing, maybe even masks. Schools have it because the staff and special ed teachers sometimes need to use it to make sure they're not exposed to blood and other body fluids. But schools are, of course, now closed for a couple of months, and hospitals are asking for donations. So we reached out to area school systems to ask if they could help out. Wake County tells us they are working on it, that they've got a team checking what they've got stored and what hospitals need. We have not heard from other school districts, but the State Department of Public Instruction tells us that each school district buys their own equipment. They pay for it themselves, so it is up to them if they want to donate it. We will keep you posted on what we find out. Monica La Liberty, WRL News 5, on your side. Thank you, Monica. And late today, Durham Public Schools also told us they are now looking into their supplies and a possible donation. Joining us now to talk about today's headlines and what they mean to you is Dr. Julie Swan, a researcher, professor, and department head at NC State. Dr. Swan, your resume includes researching the spread of flu pandemics, access to health care, and disrupted humanitarian supply chains. And we want to let the viewers know we're following the guidelines for social distancing to have our guests a bit of a distance away from us. Thank you for joining us. Appreciate you coming in. Let's talk about the supply chain. We saw what was happening in China. Then we saw in the Middle East. Then we saw in Italy, Spain. How could hospitals not have masks? How could there be this shortage we exist, we're seeing? It, it, it makes it seems, no sense. It seems impossible in America, doesn't it? Yes. Yes. So one thing is that, um, of course, hospitals start with a supply of masks, as do other institutions. And then when there is awareness that a disease outbreak is occurring, many people order more masks, not only the hospitals and the institutions, but individuals. And so that happened, and then the supply chain ran short of masks. Now, masks are produced in Asia, and it takes a little while between when they're produced and when they arrive. The majority of them are produced in Asia, and so that's one reason for the shortages. And early on, we were told masks aren't going to protect you. They're only going to be used for this. And now, all of a sudden, every day, there's story after story after story mm. looking for masks and supplies. Mm. Quite a difference. Mm. Now, let's talk about shelter in place. There are somewhat competing factions today. The chamber telling the governor, please don't do this. Hospital Association telling the governor, please do it and do it now. Had you expected to see that tension? 
Well, it's not that surprising in the sense that shelter in place has huge implications, not only for the individuals, but also the businesses, the, the restaurants, the service organizations, and, and many others. And it can be quite difficult for the businesses and their workers. Uh, of course, what, what everyone is trying to do is reduce infections through the physical distancing so that we don't overwhelm our hospital systems. Where do you fall on that? Do we need shelter in place? Uh, we're getting close. I think that uh, I've, I've been watching this nationwide and, and looking at the different states going into that. Um, I think we're getting close. I, I don't think that we're quite there yet, but it probably is going to come. Okay. We get a lot of email and phone calls from people saying, what about the flu? What about H1N1? It killed far more people. It was far more infectious, et cetera, et cetera. You were on the front lines with H1N1 in the response. That's right. This is a different ballgame. No matter what those numbers on social media might show, right. you're not comparing apples to apples, are you? Right. No. Well, there are a number of key differences. One is that COVID-19 does appear to be much more infectious than a, a regular flu, even H1N1. And secondly, it does appear that the mortality rate is about 10 times that of seasonal flu. Seasonal flu kills a lot of people every year, and we should continue to be vigilant about that. But we are in a different situation now because no one really had immunity to this before it came. Many people thought this would just go away. <laughs> I'm afraid it's not going away for a while. I tell my family it's a new normal. Uh, and none of us have a crystal ball. None of us know how long this is going to take. You were telling me before we went on the air, and I hope you don't mind me bringing this up, but you were talking with your sister in Texas, and she had fear of the food chain being disrupted. And you're saying, no, do not worry about that. I don't think that there will be problems obtaining food. Um, and I think that even if shelter in place occurs, people will be allowed to go out and get essential services, including food and pharmaceuticals and, and things like that. So I, I don't think that that's going to occur. We also have a fairly robust supply chain for food. There may be specific items out of stock for a period of time, like certainly we know about toilet paper, but toilet paper will come back on the shelves just like many other items. Uh, tell me that again. My producer is giving me a great question. And I, I, <laughs> you're teaching remotely. Most of the world is learning remotely. What is that like for you and the students? Well, it is a brave new world for many of the students, especially undergraduates that may not have had that experience. It's also new for some of our instructors, and they may have had, even if they've taught in distance education before, they may have had the privilege of using a classroom with a dedicated video system and staff, but now they have to figure out how to do it at home. One last thing, Dr. Swan, if you had the powers to make a change in how we respond, how the government responds, how all of us worldwide are responding, what would that be? That's a great question and so hard. I think that individuals need to continue to focus on, on physical distancing. And I think as a society, I would love to see us uh, have greater testing capability, not only for knowing current infections, but also past. So we'll have a sense of who has immunity. Will we ever see normal again the way we knew normal? <laughs> I think that there'll be a new normal. H1N1 is still circulating in the system today, and, and that's part of our annual but flu vaccine. But it didn't wreck the economy like this. No, it didn't. It didn't. But um, we will come to a new normal, but it will take some time. 
Dr. Julie Swan from NC State Department Head, thank you so much for your insight and your time, and best to you and your staff and your students. Thank you. Gerald, Deborah. Thank you, David. Thank you. And as we mentioned at the start of our interview, we are talking and taking social distancing measures and following CDC guidelines here at WRAL. To hear how WRAL is working hard to keep our employees safe while bringing you the latest news every day, download the last episode of our podcast called How to Commit Journalism. You will get a behind the scenes look. Just search how to commit journalism wherever you download podcasts. You know, somebody asked me what does social distancing look like? You and I are doing six it. Six feet. Yeah, a little yes. more, about six and a half and feet here. There was a person who went to a store and said that they didn't know what that meant. Yeah. So just six feet is the best way to kind of keep that in mind. Yeah, we're all learning new normals. We really are. And these changes mean you will see fewer interviews live here on our news set as well. And like everyone else, we're adjusting our workflow to help stop the spread. So are students and teachers. Coming up, we'll hear from a distance learning expert about these challenges, benefits, and hurdles thousands of families and educators can expect in the coming months. There are also resources you may not be aware of. And as thousands of workers find themselves filing for unemployment, like salon and spa employees, the support system now in place for small business owners. When you work with a group of people, this is your family. So you have to look out for them. And I would hope everybody would do that. This isn't the time to be cold-hearted and greedy. This is the time to do whatever you can to help somebody. Because everybody has a dream, and everybody wants to fulfill that dream. Nobody asks for this financial loss right now. What a great message. Just one of the many stories we have had to share about how business owners are laying off workers. You just heard from Debbie Holt, the owner of Clyde Cooper's in downtown Raleigh. She had to lay off 12 workers. Her daughter helped those workers help fill out their unemployment claims. North Carolina processed more than 113,000 claims last week, roughly eight months of work of claims compared to last year. The list will only grow this week with workers in the salon industry now finding themselves out of work. North Carolina was among the first states in the country to receive federal support from the Small Business Administration following last week's emergency declaration by Governor Cooper. Many of you have asked and they've, you've contacted us asking how this works. Well, it is a low interest loan. Small businesses, private nonprofit organizations of any size, small agricultural cooperatives and small aquaculture enterprises financially impacted as a result of COVID-19 may qualify for loans, which can be used to pay fixed debts, payroll, accounts payable and other bills. Interest rate is 3.75% for small businesses and 2.75% for private nonprofits. The application process is online or on the phone. We have all this information right now in our coronavirus coverage on WRL TechWire. While many companies are laying off employees, CVS Health is looking to hire. The company is hiring 50,000 people across the country for full-time, part-time and temporary roles. CVS Health says it's providing bonuses and adding benefits for current employees. Bonuses range between $150 and $500. They'll be given to employees who are required to work at CBS facilities to help customers. From one community to another, the classroom transformation now happening across the country and how students, teachers, and parents should be adapting. That's coming up next. We've never experienced anything quite like this, a pandemic in the modern world where everyone is practicing virtual school, virtual government, virtual reality almost. But we are determined to meet you where you are. We know it's going to be stressful at times, but we hope that we are going to bring you classes that are really going to bring to you the reality of 
how important communication is at a time like this. Dean Susan King from UNC's Journalism School addressed her students on video today as many of them returned to virtual classrooms. This is a new normal for students and teachers of all ages across the country. It can present its own challenges. The Duke University Talent Identification Program is known for its summer camps for gifted students from around the country. The camp has also been running online for programs for elementary and secondary students for 15 years. Here to discuss this through FaceTime is Lynn Fairchild-Hawks, longtime di current director of curriculum and instruction for distance learning with Duke TIP. Lynn, thanks for joining us, and we're doing this obviously on FaceTime out of just precaution. We want to make sure that we practice social distancing here at WRAL. I want to talk about teachers and educators. You have heard from them. What are their biggest concerns about online learning, and how would you address them? I think there's a, there are a number of concerns. Uh, one is how can I teach everything? And the reality is we can't because everyone is adjusting and learning right now. So teachers have to make some decisions. And one of the phrases we love to use is just in time content as people are exploring hopefully meaningful educational questions. And the other thing is, what are the expectations for this new space that I'm in? So you're creating this new walled little garden um, what are the rules of the road? And so having a digital citizenship agreement is always very important. Now let's talk about the students. This is likely a new learning experience for them. There is no traditional community classroom. So how do both students and teachers deal with this for the first time? Well, a couple things. I think the, the following the digital citizenship expectations is helpful. And then teachers can do a great job in creating rituals, communicating with their students every Monday, let's say, previewing, here's what we're going to do this week, and then building community in either asynchronous or synchronous spaces. You can build a community in a Google document. You can do it in a help discussion forum. You can do it in a live web conferencing with icebreakers and debates and things like that. So that's, that's really important. And even just recording a video where the kids get to see your face and, them, and you talking to them, I think, makes a difference. Is a parent's role different when you're talking about online learning versus classroom learning and what they're used to doing every day? Oh, that's a great question. I know parents are probably feeling some stress right now. Um, a couple things. Finding that ritual and space in the day where you feel your child can learn best is important. And then I think coaching your child to be an active learner as much as they can at their age and saying to them, hey, have you checked all the resources your teacher has given you? What have you already figured out before we ask your teacher a question? Um, mm -hmm. So kind of coaching that active learning behavior, I think is really important for parents and not to worry about being the full teacher. That's not your job. It's more like a sideline coach of just asking questions of like, what have they learned today? Is time management different when you're talking about online learning versus classroom learning? It is. It's a great question. And I think finding time every day is really important and finding a sort of sacred, quiet space if that's possible. And even if it's only for 20 minutes at a time, uh, but you have to be engaged on a daily basis and checking email and other platforms is really important. And it's a great learning experience for kids to check in daily in a couple places that their teacher wants them to. Um, it's great preparation for the workforce too, to, to learn that ritual from home. When we try new things, something always surprises us. What are some of the biggest surprises people experience when they go to online learning for the first time? Um, I think for a lot of teachers that I've seen convert from face to face, they sometimes don't trust themselves because they think I've got to learn all this technology and it's all about the technology. But the truth is good teaching is good teaching. Connecting with your students, you know, coming up with that icebreaker to warm them up. 
um, coming up with a great question or problem for them to solve. If that's not there, it doesn't matter how beautiful the technology is, and there's going to be no substance. So first, trusting yourself that you already know great teaching techniques if you're a teacher. Um, and being surprised by that, I think, is one of the things I've seen the most. If you're a great face-to-face -face teacher, you're going to learn eventually how to get online and do it well, and you'll get there. Just be, give yourself a, a, a chance to do that. And this is, it can be a stressful environment. It's something new. We're doing something we haven't done before. You have all this going on about COVID-19. These kids have a lot to yeah. think about. What's the best way to manage stress when you're talking about online learning, or is it the same as you would if you were going to school every day? Uh, uh, that's a wonderful question. And I think a de-stressing thing, you know, I mentioned the icebreakers and giving kids the space to, whether it's an email or any live time or forums to talk about fun things to kind of warm up the space and not think about the stressful things, like share a detail about your favorite pet, and then try to come up with some activities as teachers that they can really get excited about. Um, and I think just taking breaths and, and being patient with each other, the teachers are learning and parents are learning and the kids are learning. So if we give each other, um, we assume best intentions and then you know, try to you know, give each other a chance, that really, I think, uh, warms up the space. So. All right, well, thank you for some great advice. Lynn Hawks with Duke University, we appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Bye. Amazon is helping, too, by offering a small reprieve for parents at home with their kids all day. Audiobook service Audible, which is owned by Amazon, is offering free streams on a select number of children's stories across six languages. The service will be available for as long as schools are closed. The books are separated into six categories. Some of those include Littlest Listeners, Tween, and Literary Classics. And we know many of you want to help your neighbors in need during this crisis. We have a growing list of links, donations.